you know, it's important to, I think for both the DP and a director to understand that you do have separate jobs. Um, you know, some directors are really specific on cinematography, which I am all for. Like, more we can speak the same language, I would say the better. I think sometimes people are afraid of stepping on toes, which uh, I think is a valid, you know, thought. Um, it's always kind of making sure that you're not crossing over into someone else's job, but also making sure as a director that you're able to be really specific on what you're looking for, because at the end of the day, it's their film. My name is West Givens, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with cinematographer Alyssa Rooney. We discussed her compelling body of work, how she approaches different styles of content, and her role as the DP for Frame.io's Camera to Cloud product launch. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 66 of the Tungsten Originals podcast. Alyssa, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing great. I really appreciate you coming on. My producer, Joe, who works at Tungsten, put me on to your work, and I've been really obsessed with like going through your reel and all of the films that you've worked on, especially the Frame.io camera to cloud announcement, which one is exciting because it's an exciting announcement. We use Frame.io for our post-production workflow. And so I think my fellow filmmakers should like get on that. But it's also exciting in that it was obviously a very huge production and I'd love to pick your brain about it. But before we get into all that work, I want to figure out how you got started in this industry and started becoming a DP. So when did you first get interested in filmmaking? Yeah, I feel like I don't have a super interesting story. I wish that I was kind of like everyone else where you have like the old, you know, bought a Super 8 camera when you were like 12 and went out and made movies. But I don't think I really did anything film related until I got to college, which was in the fall of 2015. I think my only experience with anything related was photography, which I did really from middle school until now, like kind of got started doing just like small things with like a family camera, shooting like flowers down the street and just trying to figure out how to get like shallowed up the field in my photos. I feel like I just started to experiment with things really early on and really enjoy it and kind of became known as the photo girl like in the family. So I would always go to the parties and take pictures. And then I think in high school, not only did I get into darkroom photography, which was so fun and I, I it's one of my favorite things I've ever done in life. I also started going to like show tapings because my uncle worked at CBS Studios in Burbank. And so he would take us to like shows that I would watch on the regular, which I thought was so fun and just getting to see them do everything behind the scenes and um, sit up in the audience and kind of just observe. Instead of watching the actors or anything, I was like watching the crew people like do all their behind the scenes things with camera and stuff like that. So I think that kind of sparked a love or an interest at least in film and kind of gave me a reason to go to film school. And around that same time, I feel like my mom, I grew up in LA, but I, we never really, you don't really like do the things, you know, related to the town you grew up in. So I think my mom got really into right. like becoming a tourist of LA during that time as well when I was about <laughs> to graduate high school. And so we like, we went on the Warner Brothers tour, the Paramount tour, things like that, where it was just really interesting to see, I think the back lots and some of the sound stages and things like that. It's just like, it was just something that sounded exciting and I already had a, an interest in photography and other than that like I never really did film before made like a small music video 
right before like applying to film school on an iPhone and then I edited it on like my iMovie on my like old iPhone 4 and thought it was so good it was terrible but like that was pretty much the only (laughs) thing I ever really made uh prior to film school and somehow I got in I don't know I don't know why or how I didn't really have any experience but so whenever you were going into film school did you right away know that you wanted to be a DP or were you still kind of like fleshing that out? I had no idea what a cinematographer was. I think probably really until sophomore year. I mean, you kind of know that someone's like in charge of the camera and you know what their what their responsibilities are. But I feel like I didn't even really get on set until my second semester of my freshman year. And so it was kind of just, you know, going headfirst into like figuring out all the positions and not really knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Just knew I liked film and was kind of interested in camera. So I kind of kept my eye on that, did a lot of ACing. Once I kind of learned what that was and what the job consisted of, probably uh, f- my freshman into like mid sophomore year, and then started taking on my own projects. Not necessarily feeling like I was ready to do so, but just started getting asked. I think right off the bat, people could tell I probably had grown up doing photography just because I already had mm-hmm. a little bit of an understanding of light and composition. And so I feel like I had a little bit of a head start. There was a an essence of like a little bit of prior knowledge, I think, that went into that. So was there a specific, like a project that you work on that after you shot it, you thought, okay, DP, that's like, that's what I want to do. There was a film that I did in school. I went to Biola University. Um, we had a, we had a mm-hmm. class. Most people took it junior year called Biola Film where it was just like one semester dedicated to making a film. And so you had one mm-hmm. director, one producer, one DP, and then everyone else filled out the other roles. And two of my friends that I made most of my stuff with in college, uh, Summer Wagner and Caitlin Kolb, we, formed like the first I think female group to make a film in that class so it was like producer director and DP were all women and it was a powerful message about something that goes wrong in a camp it was just a really amazing experience I I think I had shot maybe five things prior to this film and it ended up being like a $12,000 budget and 70 people up in the mountains for two weekends like I had no idea what I was doing at all (laughs) but knew that I wanted to do that and knew that I loved it. And so I think that project is so special to me and I have so many fond memories of it and ended up not looking like trash. Like it's not the best thing in the whole world, (laughs) but like I just can't even, obviously there's so many people involved too. It wasn't just me, but just can't believe that it looks the way that it does without any knowledge really going into it, to be honest. I just, I remember everything that I didn't know at the time and it's terrifying. (laughs) I was like, I would never (laughs) let myself shoot that. But that was something like, you know, it's really memorable and just a project. I think not only was I proud of the work and the people, just the whole experience was amazing. Getting to tell a story that I felt was important. I think it just had every aspect of what we love about filmmaking in it. And that was um, really cool to be a part of. I think that it's a really defining moment in every filmmaker's career where you make something and you're like, well, it's not bad. Finally, it's it's not good, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's not good, but it's not awful. You know, like it wasn't. Right, yeah, right. It went to a couple festivals. I'm more speaking of my own work, not even the story. It was just like, right. you know, I actually still post some frames from it. That to mm-hmm. me is, you know, shows something. It's like if years later... You know, I'll still post some stuff. It can't have been that bad, I guess. And so did you, you graduated in 2019, I assume? I graduated a semester early. So I graduated in fall of 2018. Okay, great. So looking at your reel, it seems as if you've been in the industry for like 
a decade <laughs> because of the incredible things that you've shot and like, you know, scrolling through the work tab on your website is just so long and it's all just such great stuff. So like your career has really had a, a steep, fantastic trajectory since you graduated. So how was that transition from film school to the professional world? Like right away, were you immediately getting work or were you kind of like stumbling into things? So I've, I feel like I have a weird story. In college, I, at least for my internship, I think I prepared myself really well, I think for graduating in terms of the people that I met while in school. And then like what I got myself involved in, in terms of hopping on people's sets outside of school, networking, grabbing coffee with people. And then in terms of my internship that I had to do for school, my mentor ended up getting me an internship at Light Iron, which is Panavision's po post house for color. And so I ended up, I think it was my junior year, interning at Light Iron for a semester, which was amazing. It was a paid internship, like couldn't have asked for better. You just learn a lot about color and how that whole process works in that company. And then got really close to the people that worked in marketing there. And they ended up just keeping me on as a freelancer for two years. So while I was, I had that job basically that I pretty much did work for them every day. I would go into the office a lot, or if I had things to do for school, I would just stay at school and do work remotely. And so that lasted for two years and just gave me a really good introduction into marketing, which is really different, but also just meeting people in the industry and meeting everyone at Panavision and just really becoming a part of a team. And that carried me through my transition, you know, from film school, which I feel like most people can't say, and I'm really grateful for it. So right when I graduated, I didn't really have that like, oh crap, like, what do I do now? I need to find a job or um, need to figure out kind of what I'm doing next. I already had that next at that point. It wasn't an end goal, but mm -hmm. obviously it just, it was something that was really important for me and allowed me to be able to shoot free projects or cheap projects as I graduated, mm -hmm. just to continue practicing and getting more work and networking, um, just because I already had an industry job that honestly was really flexible with my time. I also live, I actually still live at home. I'm almost done paying my loans, just like knocking it out. I mean, I have my family here. And so being able to graduate mm -hmm. and move back in and not pay rent, I sustain myself. However, I just don't have to pay rent. And so that's like a huge right. thing, not having to worry about rent. So it's like cover food, gas, whatever, and then just knocking out my loans. So kind of just trying to be responsible in that aspect and get rid of all the debt that's overhead and things like that. Right. Right. Because the debt, as I'm sure the <laughs> film students listening, cool. is very daunting. <laughs> so that's amazing. Yeah, so I want to dive into your process because you've shot a wide variety of narrative work, music videos, and commercial work. And I think talking about how the process between those categories differs is really interesting. So whenever you're approaching a narrative project, what is your pre-production process? Like when working with a director and or a writer? Between the pre-pro process, I guess I just spend a lot more time dwelling on a script. I mean, I feel like most more recently I've been doing a lot more corporate content for like Frame.io and I've been doing a lot more music videos um, as opposed to narrative, which has been more far and few between recently, which is unfortunate, but I'm still happy to mm -hmm. be doing what I'm doing. And also actually documentary has been really consistent as well. Mm -hmm. And so narrative, it's been a little bit of time to be honest, but I feel like I would always make sure, you know, that I connect with the script and that I believe in whatever the story is because I mean, I it's a lot of work to make a project and I wanna enjoy what I'm doing and believe in the content that I'm shooting. And so I think it's all about making sure you have a good connection with the director, 
spending time with the script. There's a lot of different things I do, like reading the script multiple times, reading it a first time, you know, with without trying to visualize every shot. It's just to read the script to get, get capture what the story is, which is really hard because <laughs> I'm super visual. So it's like forcing your brain to not <laughs> connect with, you know, what the angle to is going to be. To not do what it's you're so best hard. at, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's just, it's a lot more of an emotional connection when I do narrative as opposed to like commercial or mm -hmm. music video and things like that. Those can still be emotional. It, it just is to me a little bit of a different feeling. What really stood out to me specifically about your work is the way you the way you use it's a tongue twister light to really draw in the audience like with your negative space and the shadows and just the really creative like color that I saw in your reel and the work that's on your website was really interesting, especially in those music videos. I watched a few of them, like the more recent ones that came out, and they're just so creative. So since those are more in your like recent work, how do you approach projects differently? Obviously, it depends on the artist and the song and what fits for that thing. But like I noticed that you had a music video that was like recorded live, you know, like the band actually playing it live. Oh, yeah. And then you, of course, have the music videos that are pre-recorded and they're assumingly lip syncing on set and you can get a little bit more creative with the visuals there. So how do those approaches differ for you? I would, I, I don't necessarily think there was much of a different approach, to be honest, in terms of the live project and the ones done just, you know, on set with lip syncing. I just remember, I think you're talking about She Calls Me the Moon, right. um, where we were in like a studio space, which was really fun. Um, the artist, honestly, funny story about that like video. I was sitting in a coffee shop with a female director and we were just connecting over a script that we were maybe thinking about shooting at a certain point. And this guy walks over in a coffee shop and is like, hey, is any one of you a cinematographer? Cause I'm looking for a DP for a music video. And I was like, I am <laughs> like, I don't know. I had one of the most classic Hollywood experiences for that music video yeah. where I literally got a job in a coffee shop because everyone there is doing <laughs> like film work or writing scripts. And and sometimes right. I would be a little bit skeptical of what the project would be if it's coming from someone random like that. But they had like a yeah, bunch totally. of we shot a really cool music video that I'm really still really proud of. There wasn't much of a different approach for that music video. The artist was super talented. It was his idea to do a live performance for that project. Obviously, we shot things over and over again. Right. The thing was the main track just the audio track was live. And then just like a music video, they mm. were lip syncing to it. So we did one master shot where they were happy with the audio. And then we were able to obviously oh, play that okay. audio over and over again. And then they were singing to that. So it wasn't like we had multicam going on mm -hmm. or anything. Yeah, but it was live because, you know, they were able to capture all of it there. And then they just made their own tweaks. So it was still really cool. It was a little bit of a different process. But for the most part, it was fairly similar, you know, to a music video until we got that one take that they were really happy with audio wise. Mm -hmm. So what does a project, whether it's music video, commercial or whatever it may be, what does it need to get you to say yes, like sans budget and pay and, and like the, the obvious incentives of, wor of working on a thing. But in, in terms of the story that you're telling, because even though it's a commercial, you're still telling a story, what does it need to grab you as a DP? The thing is I graduated a little over two years ago now, I think. And so, you know, every, a lot of projects, you know, I'm still likely to take if they have right. a budget for me to shoot. 
you know, mm-hmm. obviously I need to get paid, but it's not even necessarily about that. It's just about me making sure that I have the equipment I need and the crew that I need to make something that I know I'm going to be proud of. Um, so that's honestly first and foremost, you know, I do get people reaching out to me randomly through email and things like that. So I think the main thing is just making sure that they actually have a budget that we can work with and have, you know, the intention of hiring crew and things like that. So that's my number one thing about taking projects. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, like I'm into music videos, commercial, documentary, narrative. Like I, n- I don't have a specific thing that I'm necessarily looking for, I guess. Um, in terms of narrative, I would say that's probably where I'm most specific. I love narrative dramas. So the second someone sends me something related to that, I'm going to be a lot more intrigued to make time for it, especially if it's lower budget. And, you know, having a full-time position as a DP now, it is a little harder to take freelance. And so I do have to be a little bit more selective in terms of that. If a narrative comes along, it's really going to give me incentive to take it in general. If I get sci-fi and things like that, I'm not like huge into sci-fi, to be honest, or horror. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain genres that come and I, I'm not as excited to like read the script or even take the time. But you know, I'm always interested in connecting with the people on the other end and, Mm -hmm. you know, either way, like having a phone call, seeing what the project's about. I think that's what's exciting is you never know what's going to come. And so never looking for anything in particular. It's just, is this interesting to me once it comes? Um, It's always interesting getting vastly different pieces of content. Mm -hmm. Totally. So I want to dive in to your work on the Frame.io camera to cloud announcement, which was this huge production like i said you know in the intro a very exciting announcement both for people who use Frame.io, like myself and many filmmakers out there but also you know for your career like you told me before we started recording you're now the full-time dp at Frame.io, which is amazing so before could you first explain as as an official employee of Frame.io, <laughs> could you uh, explain to the audience who may not know about Frame.io, like what it is. They're gonna watch this and they're gonna they're gonna so judge me on my explanation of their product. <laughs> Frame.io, <laughs> uh, Frame.io is a, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> they're gonna see it. Pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, it is. So Frame.io is a um, online collaboration tool for artists. It doesn't necessarily have to be for filmmakers. Um, it can be used for photography, you know, sound design, even musicians, things like that. It's a place where people can upload content and really easily make notes um, on the content throughout the timeline and share with other people. It's a really great platform for um, content sharing and making notes and comments and things like that. So I'd recommend it honestly, not because I work there at all, but just because it's an amazing product in general. I personally used it before working for them. It's clean and easy and an amazing tool that I can never be without now. Yeah, we just started using it for our post-production pipeline for the podcast. And it's a similar thing. I, I wanted to try it out with my editor because like I had heard about it and used it like years ago on a project, but hadn't used it recently. And so we tried it out and, and we were really like, yeah, this is just so much easier. Originally, we were uploading to like a cloud-based file sharing service. And then like I would upload and then he would download. And then it was just like so much more complicated. So free plug to your employer (laughs) yeah it's just so clean it is the best and i feel like once you get into using it and you really learn you know all that it has to offer because there's a lot of little tricks um and tools that there are there that it has that you are hidden you might not really know about but once you fully learn how to use it you just you can't go back because it's so easy anytime people are like yeah "Yeah, uh, it's on vimeo like you can make notes and i'm like 
mm, can we put it on frame io because it's so much easier right, to just right. like make notes on the timeline wherever i need it yeah i actually i was reviewing um an episode from my editor and i was able to just watch it on the subway i'm based yep. in new york right now so i was like on the subway going somewhere and i was watching on the subway and i was like i could not do this with anything else so yeah. yes we're, we're gushing over for my but it's truly worth it i highly recommend yeah, seriously. it seriously and you can also there, there are free accounts as well so you can i think you can download it right. uh for free and try it out as well just with a small yeah, amount of storage i think i had like a yeah like a two-week free trial or something and like i said we did it and then we just fell in love but yeah. what you specifically worked on is is frame had this big announcement about their camera to cloud system which basically makes it to where you can put a Teradek on your camera, which a lot of people already have and already use, and it just uploads the footage straight to the cloud and then and synced with audio. And it's not streamed, but it's like recorded in H.264 codec and synced to the time code and everything. And it's like the technical aspects are perfect. And then people offsite, like producers or directors can review it and editors can like automatically start working on it. Again, it seems so well done <laughs> yeah what did what did you think about it when you saw it i really wanted to like get on a production that was using it because i i'm currently a covid pa on uh law and order svu and so i've talked to the guy who runs like our version of that i don't it's not frame because he was using it pre the announcement so i don't know what it oh, does like a is it pit picks maybe i didn't even get the name i just i just wanted to like pick his brain about it because he just has uh, I don't know if he is the DIT I think he's specifically for offloading this to like the cloud and stuff but that came out of like you know COVID he said you know previously they used to have these huge video villages and all the producers could be there and everyone that needed to be there could be there but of course with COVID which is you know, obviously the, the department I'm on, um, they're able to stream it to everybody. And so a, a writer in their home in LA or wherever can watch it and offer notes and stuff. So that really interested me. And then seeing like the software that I already used make an announcement, I was like, well, now it's accessible to me <laughs> because his cart and all of this stuff, like I wouldn't even know where to begin. It looked so insanely complicated. Um, but the software that I was already familiar with having it was really exciting. Um, and so I watched the review or the, the announcement that you did, um, you made, and, um, it just seemed so streamlined. So can you explain like, you know, how did you get involved with this project? Cause like I said, it's a huge production. The, the announcement video in itself, I think is like 45 minutes long. Um, and there's multiple different sets and segments and all this kind of stuff. How did this kind of come across your radar? How did you get involved? Yeah. So I, I've been friends with Michael Cioni, uh, for a few years now, uh, since working at light iron. Um, he's one of the founders of that company and Basically, he's been working at Frame um, for the last, I think, a little over a year now. And he mm -hmm. had um, offered me up the project, you know, a little late last year. And so I was definitely interested. At the time, I was a full-time cinematographer for the Salvation Army. So it was something I definitely had to coordinate um, between that as well, because I was consistently shooting documentaries for them. But he offered it to me and I uh, couldn't turn it down. I mean, there's just... It was just such a good opportunity to um, shoot something that I believed in and, mm -hmm. you know, tech that I was excited about and doing a product launch was new to me, but something that I was still interested in doing. And um, he, they just had lots of great ideas for it. And I was really looking forward to um, sinking my teeth into something new. 
especially with friends. So, you know, it's offered to me by people I knew and trusted and definitely was worth obviously my time. It was, it was great. Yeah, totally. So talk about like the scale of, of the production, because I mean, even with the first shot, you can tell that it's huge, you know, I'll, I'll actually, um, in the intro, the speaker talks about how they're, y'all are filming on the Paramount backlot. And I think it's really cool that you used to do the tours there with your mom and then you ended up shooting there. So was that kind of like a, a wow moment here? I am filming something here. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, that's definitely a full circle moment for me. Um, just, you know, touring before film school, um, getting to check out the Paramount backlot with my mom you know, to shooting on the back lot, you know, you have to rent out the whole back lot for the day uh, when you shoot there. And so it's just really cool experience. I, I, I've i obviously been there quite a few times prior to that, um, just for Cinegear and a lot of events and things like that. But, you know, to be able to be the DP of a project um, there was definitely really cool and not something you get to do every day. So yeah, it was just an amazing experience that I'm, you know, proud to have been a part of in terms of that. Right, so, and it was also shot during COVID and as we've all had to adapt to filming in COVID, you know, it certainly is difficult, but we're getting used to it. So what was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome with filming that announcement video? There's always so many problems when you're actually shooting and then you, you know, right. now it's just right. looks like a positive when you look back on right. it. Right. Rose colored glasses. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything, you know, being able to, to have people watch it and get to experience camera to cloud in real time um, and really see, you know, how the process works was definitely a challenge. And I think, you know, doing it in a one take and really showing people from start to finish uh, how camera to cloud works, um, you know, from the camera onto your iPad, like that is, I think, something that was really compelling to people. And a lot of people shared with me after that that was really cool to watch uh, because it really couldn't have been done any other way um, to really sell mm -hmm. it to people and for them to understand what was happening. Um, that was challenging. I mean, it was a long one take. Um, it was a lot of lighting and, you know, a lot of takes with Steadicam, um, but I think it ended up paying off and I'm proud of what the team did and, you know, how it turned out in the end. Yeah, because when you have a product that is so, so technical, and it's for a technical audience who needs to know the technical aspects of it. Yeah. You really have to get into the weeds of it. So yeah, there's no there's no other way to, to do yeah, that exactly. kind of announcement. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever you're working on these commercial projects, you know, you're working with like a company and the their brand image is in your hands in a way. And, you know, like with, with Frame.io, that's the camera to cloud is obviously a, a really huge announcement, a product they've been working on for a while. How do you balance those interactions with the suits, if you will, um, both for Frame.io, but for other corporate things that you've worked on? Um, you know, what's helpful is that the director and producers are all very familiar with filmmaking and their product in general. Um, I think sometimes when you do... Uh, commercial type, um, you know, producers or people that are in charge of the product might not necessarily have much of a filmmaking background, um, but are still trusting you to portray their um, their product correctly or, or how they how they see it or want it to be portrayed. And so I think what was helpful is, you know, the CEO and the director um, have a filmmaking background. And so they knew what they wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really healthy collaboration, I would say, achieving, you know, a balance of 
my style and theirs together. Um, you know, if they didn't like something, they'd let me know and we'd figure it out or vice versa, just because we, we speak the same language and we can understand kind of what mm-hmm. each other's going for, um, which I think was really helpful and made it easy. Right. So working on something like that announcement, you know, like a product launch that you said, like, you know, you didn't have too much experience working with before, especially on a project that filmed over a couple months. What do you think you learned the most from working on the camera to cloud announcement? I think if I learned anything, you know, I've worked with really big crews before. Um, I've shot commercials for companies. But to me, like every time I shoot, I feel like I learn things about lighting that I Mm. maybe didn't. Not, not necessarily no, but um, I feel like you just start to continue to acquire little pieces of information for the next shoot um, that's coming. And so shooting on the Paramount Backlot, you know, it's a large space. It's outdoors. Um, you know, we're shooting during the day. It, like things need to be controlled and look pretty still. Um, so I think a big mm-hmm. thing is just about balancing large spaces for me. Um, and just lighting in general, you know, my gaffer Taylor Huddleston was super duper helpful, obviously on this shoot and really carried the lighting in terms of the main portion, you know, that was in Paramount, just great collaboration and and figuring out kind of how to balance that best. Um, and, you know, walking away with little tidbits of information and, uh, things for the the shoots in the future that, uh, I think are priceless, you know, or working with large pieces of equipment. I mean, we had a, we had a techno crane on, mm-hmm. on track. And so I had not personally used that before. And so just acquiring little pieces of information about what's possible, um, how to best work with the people that are in charge of that, um, you know, so that they can do their best work. Um, you know, it's a lot, a lot of coordinating, which I, I, I don't think I necessarily, I feel like I'm, I'm used to that that coordination. But, you know, when you get new pieces of equipment, um, it's about, you know, learning their style and how they want to approach Mm -hmm. it and, um, you know, making it a good time for them as well so that they can, like I said, do their best work. Right. I'm really glad you brought up working with your gaffer because I want to dive into that um, relationship of a DP working with a gaffer a little bit because, you know, it varies film school to film school, but I'm sure there are DPs right now currently in film school that don't have a lot of experience working with gaffers because maybe they've worked on sets where the crew is so small that they're the ones doing the lighting you know they don't have like a whole g&e team and all that kind of stuff so what do you think is the most important thing for a dp to know or do when they're working with a gaffer to figure out lighting plans and just execute the lighting that they need to execute yeah that's a great question and i you know i can actually really heavily relate to the film school aspect of not really having a lot of people on GNE in school, um, whether it was, you know, honestly, my biggest problem with film school was always checking out the gear. Like I hated going to an equipment room, like bringing my own personal car, shoving like yep. freaking hundred cases, scratching my, like <laughs> scratching the sides of my car, like trying to just like yep. te- Tetris my, my way in. Like I was, I always was there for like three hours and I left exhausted. It was like, that is my most miserable part of film school, to be honest. Like, it's the thing I hated most um, in in life at the time. Anyways, <laughs> now that I've had therapy about that. Um, right, right. <laughs> I did a lot of my own lighting, yeah. And and to be honest, I, I feel like I didn't even do that much lighting in school. I, a lot of the projects that I did, like, I would try to utilize natural light or I'd use lamps, practi- like, right. bring practicals in. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I was shooting outside, like I'd shoot under street lamps, make sure I had like highlights in my frame still. So I was really, I was still, you know, using my brain in terms of, you know, knowing I needed a key light, like what looks good, like making sure I have highlights in the back, you know. But I, I was definitely lacking in like, in renting a lot of lights because it was just so annoying. I didn't have the car to put things in and, or like the, the, the hands to carry like a giant sky panel case. Like it was, I just didn't have right. the tools for it. Um, I wish I did. Yeah. And that's one of my biggest regrets in film school is not, to, uh, not, not lighting a lot more than I did. I think I've learned a ton coming out. So it's not like I feel inferior now. It's just, that's, I feel right. like I, I could have been even better now because I would have done it a lot more even then. Um, but communication with the gaffer yeah I would say like I used a gaffer in school a few times um, but never really someone that was professional which is interesting um, you know because you're working with all students so to me what's really important about a gaffer now um, this is just my personal opinion I don't really know what anyone else's is but you know it's like he or she whoever I use like I expect to have a really good understanding of their tools and so you know they they know, um, you know, if I need hard light or soft light, if I need sunlight through a window or um, overhead like kitchen light, you know, they know what tools to use, you know, when I need something specific. And they know, you know, I would expect my gaffer to also just have an eye for an aesthetic image, like um, understanding balance and highlights in the frame and color temperature. Like I just, at least Taylor Huddleston, who I've been working with a lot lately, um, is so talented and he has an eye like he I he's not a cinematographer but he cares about the image so much and really does understand similarly to me um you know what looks good and what needs to be added or taken away like um he he really just understands the tools that are necessary for a job and so I don't necessarily want to worry about that um just personally like if you know I know where I want to light um I know what color I want it to be um, I know the quality that I want it to be, but I don't necessarily know the, the specific light that I want. Um, and I don't really care. Like, you know, I tell Taylor specifically, um, I'm like, this is what I want. Like, I don't care what you use. Like, just give me give me the quality and the shape and things like that, um, which I think is a good time for him, too, because he gets to, you know, be in charge of his own gear and figure out what's best to use. He's the one with the knowledge and has been doing it a lot more than me. So um, I trust him to pick the right tool for the job and um, I think that's a fun collaboration, too, because we both get to go back and forth about um, what's good. And I'm always asking him, like, do you like the shot? It's always fun. Like, you know, everyone's like, well, it's up to you. But I want to know if other people like it, if there's something you don't like. Yeah, you know, totally. I'm so open to having a conversation about why you don't like it and why we want to change it. Because um, it's not just my image. You know, it's everyone's that's on set. Um, and totally. so, yeah, um, communication with the gaffer is super important, I think. I'm still working on it, obviously. I think we're always getting better at communication and um, figuring out, you know, we all have slightly different language of how we describe things. Um, I think uh, I try to be as clear as possible with whoever I'm talking to, especially in like pre-production, making sure that they have what they need to get the job done and, you know, um, approaching it, making sure we're, we're telling the story, doing story justice, um, you know, based on how we're lighting and things like that. So communication is important and don't know anything like any any specific communication um, things that I use, but 
I think, yeah, that's a big thing is just allowing the ga- my gaffer to be able to also collaborate with me and choose his lights right. and diffusion and things like that. Like some people are really specific on what they um, want to use. Um, that's totally fine. Like, you know, we're all super different and maybe I'll change my mind one day and I'll be really specific on the units that I want to use. But um, at the moment, I'm just not I'm not super specific on that. Right. In the in the same way, like you were saying that work, the communication between um, a DP and, and a gaffer is so important. Obviously, the communication between uh, a DP and a director is is a pivotal part to any project. So as a director, I like to ask people who communicate with directors, both on the podcast and just in general, you know, what should directors like not say like what have you learned from your horror stories working with directors because it's it's all a communications game an interpersonal communications game you have to be able to talk to people to do it effectively you can have like a vision and have a great story and all this kind of stuff like if you can't talk to people it's not going to get made so um without naming names obviously or going into any extreme specifics what advice would you give to directors um, who are starting to work with DPs on a more professional level about how to communicate with them effectively? Yeah, advice. I would say, you know, it's important to, I think for both the DP and a director to understand that you do have separate jobs. You know, some directors are really specific on cinematography, which I am all for. Like, the more people know and the more we can speak the same language, I would say the better. I think sometimes people are afraid of stepping on toes, which uh, I think is a valid, you know, thought. Um, it's always kind of making sure that you're not crossing over into someone else's job, but also making sure as a director that you're able to be really specific on what you're looking for, because at the end of the day, it's their film. I don't really like to personally to hear that, like when, when DPs fight directors on things, just because, you know, I will, if I, if I think something should be a different way, I'll definitely recommend it. Um, and maybe push for it a little bit. But at the end of the day, like they're in charge. Um, it's their project, it's their story. Um, and they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're what they say goes. Um, and I'm a really firm believer in their, that and I respect that. And so um, I think just being able to really communicate um, or have that communication between the director and the DP in terms of what they're looking for and having a healthy balance um, in terms of what each other's going for in a piece is is really important. Yeah, totally. I want to go back a little bit to what you were talking about with that first project in film school that made you realize that you want to be DP. I like how you pointed out that um, it was your first time working with you know a, a full team of women, both as a director and producer and yourself, of course. And Tungsten just filmed a project called Lighthouse Keeping just this past weekend, actually. And the set was almost entirely women. The director is a woman. We've got women producers. And the DP uh, is a New York-based um, woman DP who just, I was looking at the shots the other day, and they're truly incredible. But I, I want to talk about your experience working you know, with those all women teams, sadly, as we all know, that's not as common as it should be. But can you talk a little bit about why that's important and the change in related to that you hope to see in the future? So yeah, the the heads on that project uh, called Little Lantern were all women. Um, I think even the yeah, the production designer, um, one of the producers. So that was just it was really Mm -hmm. cool. Um, 
I'm, you know, I'm super open to having a fully diverse crew, so right. I don't necessarily like need it to be all women. I think it's, in, in personally, it's really fun just because I feel like we all really get each other. Um, it's just a fun vibe. I think we all feel really comfortable when we're all working together, um, especially if they're friends. And it was just a special, I think, project because it hadn't been done before. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that every single film that they do should be, you know, women led by women um, or a full team. But um, I do think it's important, you know, to have that change off um, so that we can have lots of different stories told because we're, we're, you know, I think we're at a point where we see a lot of the same stories coming out. And so I think it's just important that everyone shares personal stories. um, And just because we haven't heard as much from women, it's so exciting to be able to um, not only work uh, with female teams, but also hear the stories um, that, that females have to offer. And I think sometimes that was a really delicate story in particular. And I think it made it really special to have a female team just because of the content. Um, there was a lot of children in, in the project as well. And so sometimes I think just having a little bit more of a fen- feminine leadership and vibe um, could potentially, not always, but potentially make it a little bit more of a softer um you know, introduction and um, even communication with the kids and things like that. And just for the the content of the piece, I think it was really important, but um, not always. I think that there's just a time and place for all of that. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool to be a part of one of those. Yeah. So as you've um, transitioned to working professionally in the industry, do you think like we're moving in a direction where women department heads and that kind of stuff is going to be more commonplace? I'd like to think so. I mean, it seems like... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It seems like right now, um, you know, people are really fighting for that diversification in terms of leadership. I think I would love to see it more in like Mm G&E and certain like places. Um, Like I've never worked with a female gaffer and I would love to. Um, So if you have any recommendations, let me know. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, it's just like if people aren't given the opportunity... Um, it just makes it harder because there's the the pool is so much smaller. And so um, I'd love to, you know, I still spend time trying to find um, more women to replace a lot of my roles on set just so I can start to also, you know, be a part of continuing to uh, all raise each other up in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would like to think that we're headed in that traje- trajectory. It's kind of hard to say. Right. You know, I feel like I've just been fortunate in the last year, so I would I would say in my sphere, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really speak to anyone else's though. Right. I I want to dive into a um, audience submitted question. So those of you who are listening to this, you should follow us on Instagram at Tungsten Originals. Anytime I interview a new guest, I always put up a story and ask for questions. And Seth, friend of the show, a uh, film school friend of mine, who's been on the podcast, he asked, "How do you fight ageism in the industry?" So. Obviously, you know, you said you're talking about how you graduated film school in 2018. I feel like in an industry like this, it can kind of be hard to fight for people to take you seriously if you are younger. So have you had to face that a lot in the projects you've worked on? To be honest, I don't think most people know how old I am. <laughs> and I think that that has always like, Played to your favor. Yeah, maybe. right, right. Um, I don't post my age, but I'm also not keeping my age a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I'm I'm also like, you know, whether it's family trauma or whatever, like I feel like I'm a good communicator and <laughs> and like can hold a good conversation. And so I think sometimes I think sometimes like maybe people think just the way I carry myself, I'm a little bit older and maybe I look a little bit older. I don't know. Uh, so I've never really experienced um, any negativity regarding my age, really. 
and most people don't ask. Maybe that's a newer thing, right. kind of where people just kind of <laughs> let's avoid just keep that it question that way. Of like, so how how old are you? Yeah, because you know it's not really a fair question. Yeah. It's like if you like my work, right. um, it shouldn't really matter. I also understand, I guess, where people come from. You know, like experience is important, um, and if you had to choose someone with a few more years of experience, right. it's it's always a benefit. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to do a good job, and I've never had that. Uh, experience to be honest and hopefully we'll yeah, kind of keep it that yeah, way absolutely. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel it, it wouldn't feel good you know to totally. be rejected maybe based on your age of course right absolutely because as long as the work is good what else matters exactly. so a lot of people listening to this podcast are in film school or have just graduated film school uh, I can personally vouch that this is a weird time to have just graduated <laughs> during the pandemic when the industry has been uprooted and so, you know, I know a lot of people that are looking for answers or advice around like every corner. So what advice would you give to someone who has just graduated film school and, and wants to become a DP and, you know, just make good stuff? What would you say to them? Yeah, for anyone that's graduating film school and is looking to become a DP, it is a really weird time. I've got a lot of friends that are also, you know, figuring that out right now, just graduating or maybe out a year or two years. Um, a lot of people do seem a little bit lost right now in terms of, you know, what to do. I feel like they've not gotten the same opportunities, I mm -hmm. guess, as a lot of other people coming out of film school. You know, it's really important, I would say, to continue to try and meet as many people as you can, because in my experience, it's been the absolute best thing for me is just networking and reaching out to people and making sure that um, you're making friends with everyone. and. And at the time I graduated, I was still I was trying to shoot projects for people. So that's another plus, I think, as things start to open up a little bit, there's a little bit more potential for maybe internships again or um, even just smaller projects to be able to shoot a little bit of networking, whether it's on Zoom or you grab a coffee or something like that. I think it's just so important to continue to push yourself and really, um, you know, force yourself into the industry. Um, I know it's like a really weird time and it's, you know, a lot easier said than done. But um, in my experience, you know, just making sure that you're reaching out and meeting as many people as possible was always uh, the best thing that you could do, especially after graduating. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, you know, and a lot of my friends honestly moved home. And right. The industry is not where your home is for the most part. And it's really hard if you want to work in Hollywood to do anything you know related to film on at least in production like you know being in their hometown and so it just makes it a lot harder and I totally understand the reasons like I'm blessed to have my family here in LA and being able to even during COVID you know um, be able to be comfortable um, still in you know where the industry is uh, so I know that most people can't speak to that or you know experience that but um, it's just important to stay here and I think really just grind, especially right now when everyone's kind of experiencing this lull in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want to cater that question specifically to women DPs who want to, um, you know, whether they're at film school or not, but want to enter into the industry and, you know, make amazing stuff like you've been doing. It's obviously, sadly, uh, still a very sexist industry. So what advice would you give to them specifically? Yeah, I would say to the female DPs, um, I've never personally had much of a poor experience related to my gender, but um, you know, it is out there and I hear horror stories from other people. And so I think it's really just about being um, confident in yourself and um, making sure you surround yourself with good people. 
Um, if people are treating you poorly, they are not worth being around. And I think that that's just important for life in general, not even the industry. Just making sure that you surround yourself with positive people that are uplifting and encouraging and really want you to um, reach the top in terms of being a DP and um, making your art and fulfilling yourself in that way. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're nearing the end of the episode and I want to hear a little bit about um, your goals for this year. Uh, as you you told me, you just got hired as, or just now it's it's March at the beginning of this year, got hired as the- Three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is crazy. It's flying by, but um, got hired as yeah, the DP at Frame.io, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so looking ahead at this, you know, again, weird time in the industry with COVID and everything, what are some of your goals that you're shooting for? Yeah, some goals this year. I mean, it's already been amazing just to be able to start working for Frame.io, um, just a company that I respect, respect the leadership. Um, they're all just doing amazing things and really just uh, being forward thinkers, thinking about the future. Um, so that's already just a really exciting opportunity for this year, um, shooting, you know, whatever projects might come with that. I would say if anything, you know, outside of that, I would love to continue shooting um, freelance work. Um, I do get a lot of offers. It's all about, you know, whether I can fit it into my schedule um, since I am pretty busy, but would love to shoot some narratives this year um, and maybe a couple documentaries and commercials, anything that kind of comes and, you know, get emails all the time, just kind of starting to filter and figure out what I can actually handle and take on just because it does become double the work. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all worth it. And, you know, I love what I do. And so it's just exciting to still be able to see the opportunities in, in the projects that are offered to me. Um, so hopefully just continue to shoot um, this year, you know, in my full-time job and then outside as well. Yeah. Well, not that you need any words of encouragement from a COVID PA, but <laughs> I have no L doubt that you'll be able to do it. I truly love your work and I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and have this conversation, especially with your busy schedule. And um, I think and hope that the people listening to this will learn a lot from you know, your experience and, and all of your work. So yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time to be on. Thank you so much. Yes, that means a lot. And thank you for having me. It's been a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, audience, those listening to this episode, um, if you're listening to the audio only version, you should head on over to our YouTube channel to check out the video version. Um, we've been doing the video version for all of the episodes for this year and are having a lot of fun with it. So be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe and all that kind of fun stuff. And um, yeah, check out links in the description to Alyssa's website, check out her work, follow her on Instagram, all that fun stuff. And uh, episodes come out every Monday at 9am. So we will see you in the next one.